Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. This week I had the um, great privilege of serving in the very first vacation Bible school in the history of the Trails Church. And yeah. So I just, if you were here, if you were a teacher or a child, would you just raise your hand real quick? All right. What a time we had. This, this room was filled with 160 kids, many of whom do not regularly attend the trails. And we taught them about the saving work of Jesus Christ. Our trails kids director, Amy Newton, and her remarkable team of leaders did a fantastic job. There was an army of adult leaders and student helpers who beamed with joy in the work of evangelizing and discipling children, I walked around every day just like this. I was so happy and thrilled to be a part of, uh, of what the Lord was doing here this week and a gift to be a part of this church family. Jamie uh, was tasked with overseeing the craft department, and so I was enlisted at, as her assistant. Crafts are not my strength. I have other strengths, uh, but crafts is not one of them, but I just loved every minute of it. Our theme was concrete and cranes, and so all of the leaders wore these construction vests, and I didn't want to be left out, so I got one as well as the assistant craft director. And so I wore this every week. And um, every day, you'll know, like every pocket here is full, and you can see my bling started to protrude from the pockets to the external part of the vest as well. Uh, but every day, we, uh, we unfolded this, this theme of presenting the gospel. So day one, the craft was a block where we stretched yarn around these nails. There were like a hundred volunteers that gathered at the church building one night and made all of these. Wasn't this fun? Yeah. <laughs> but isn't the end result so cool? Uh, we used this craft to teach children about the love of God on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we made this really cool keychain, which uh, you can't read that, but it says forgiven on it. And so there, we wanted, we wanted uh, these boys and girls to know that everyone is born a sinner, separated from God by our sin, and we need forgiveness. And then on Wednesday, day three... You're going to love this. Here's the craft. And here we pointed them to the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the only way that our sins can be forgiven. And then we had this mirror on day four, complete with concretes and cranes, screwdrivers and nails and wrenches and things that I don't even know what they are. And here we... we one of the kids to say, well, this is a personal thing. You need to look at this truth, and you have to personally respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And on the final day, I don't have this with me, is it was a, a big foam house uh, that we built on a rock, as if to say for the rest of our lives, we can either build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, or we'll build our lives in the sand, because all other ground is sinking sand. Our prayer in doing VBS is that God would use these lessons and songs and silly hand motions. I was dancing with the high school boys in the back, 
trying to be a good example for these little kindergarten boys, you know, like this is a cool thing to do these silly hand motions. And, uh, and crafts and games to awaken their hearts to the great reality that Jesus Christ alone can save. The whole week centered around a comforting promise given to each of us who are in Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began this work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So I had our text for this Sunday turning over in my thoughts as I was spending time with these kids and praying that the Lord would be their shepherd, that they might come to know the green pastures of, uh, of God's provision in Christ and to know his nearness in every valley, that their hearts might come to trust wholeheartedly that he who began a good work in them would see it to completion. Aren't these just the very simple parts of the Christian life that we've just talked about right there? The most simple parts of our faith, yet these elementary lessons are still ones that we have a hard time getting our arms around as adults, as people who've walked with Jesus for a long time. What it means to build our house on the rock, our lives on the rock, to walk with faith that he who began this work in us will see it to completion. Some of us in this room this morning are walking through incredibly difficult situations. Uh, failing health, financial woes, marital heartache, relational strain. Whatever situation that you face this morning, this passage comes to pastor us to assure us that we are not alone in any of it. God is with us. Even during this series, I have needed the truth of Psalm 23 again and again. I've recited it to myself multiple times to be reminded of God's nearness. So I wonder what area of your life you might need this same reminder. So here's my question. In what area of your life do you need to say to the Lord, you are with me. Maybe to say it differently, in what area of your life do you find it difficult to say to the Lord, you are with me? This morning we continue in our series, The Good Shepherd, as we examine Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5. And there we acknowledge that life as God's chosen people is not all green pastures and still waters, but also contains dark and dangerous valleys. The right path that we looked at last week that God leads his people on contains both realities, green pastures full of peace, deep valleys that can be full of peace in Christ as well, even when our hearts shake. Regardless of the circumstances we go through, the faithful presence of the good shepherd never wavers. It never wavers in his nearness to his people. We've now reached the halfway point in this psalm, and the themes of deep trust and holy confidence continue to overflow from every phrase. What I'd like to do from the text this morning is offer one comfort and one joy from one remarkable phrase, you are with me. So for us, the people of God's pasture, we are promised these two things. The presence of our shepherd, and second, the care of our shepherd. The comfort is the presence of the shepherd, and the joy, the great joy, is the care 
of our shepherd. So we're going to read through the entire chapter together in just a moment. Do you remember your homework from last week? Some of you are like, this is my first week here, and you're off the hook. But if you were here last week or the previous week, as a church, we are are wanting to memorize Psalm 23 over the course of this month in it. We're taking a meandering stroll through this chapter, and we thought it would be wonderful to get our hearts and thoughts around this text by memorizing it. So we're not going to do a show of hands, but I'm trusting most of you have now committed the entirety of it to memory. Good. We're about to have a test. So where we would normally all stand and read the scripture from the screen, it, look, if, if you're a guest or if you need help, there's this great cheat sheet called the Bible, and you can stand up and you can just read from your Bible. For those of you who are courageous, and you're going to just look at the screens, uh, verses 1 through 3, so the territory we've looked at the last few weeks will no longer be there. It's disappeared. It's now hidden in your heart. And then we'll pick it up with 4 through 6. So are you ready for this? Come on, let's get to work. Please stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? The comfort that I would like to draw from this passage is seen in verse 4. The presence of our shepherd. What a comfort that is to us. The real, near presence of our God. The scene in verse 4 dramatically shifts. It turns from the green pastures and still waters of verses 1 through 3 to these dark valleys in an instant. Yet this would be no surprise to a shepherd who would have been ready to care for his flock in every changing circumstance. And in every circumstance, the sheep would know the nearness of that shepherd. The valley of the shadow of death is one of the most well-worn expressions in the English language. It's been used through the ages to describe any kind of assortment of turmoil and danger, sorrow and suffering, including physical death. But the splendor of this picture is seen when we first understand what these memorable words first point to. The valley being described here is known in the Middle East by this Arabic phrase, wadi. A wadi is a dry, sunken riverbed that cuts through the hills, that's been cut there by God himself through years of rainfall. So now it's sunken down low, and on both sides, these massive stone-faced walls um, cascade above it on both sides. These were dangerous places in ancient Israel for anyone 
much less for a shepherd to lead his flock through in search of green pastures. You see, they couldn't just go to the same place every day. The shepherd had to tend his sheep and lead his sheep to places where they would have provision. These places, these valleys were dangerous, rocky terrain. They were known to produce flash floods that could sweep you away. They were plagued with thieves and wild animals. In these days, there were no police to call for protection. This was before the invention of 911. The sheep only had their shepherd, and that shepherd only had God himself. Yet, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Oh, what a phrase. You are with me. That's the turning phrase of this entire psalm. And notice how this reality is so real for him. There's a change from the second person pronouns to first person. Remember, he began talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd. And now here he's talking to God. You are with me. This is deeply personal. And in these words, we hear the remarkable confidence that David has in the steadfast presence of his God. Even though a day may come when he must pass through the most terrifying evil, he trusts that God will be with him. Who is David to make such a claim? What kind of valleys did David walk through? Many. Don't forget, this is the man who's who was hunted by his own family trying to kill him. This is the man who was betrayed by those closest to him. David knew the dangers of this life, yet he knew the the keeping nature in the hand of his God, that he who began a good work in him would see it to completion. David trusts that he will have the comfort of God's presence and in his presence have full protection. And he uses the imagery of the shepherd's tools to describe the ways in which God protects his life. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I remember when our kids were small and we memorized Psalm 23 as a family. We would do like this. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. <laughs> because the heart of David is smiling in the joy of the provision and protection of his God, even in the face of fear. The tools mentioned here are how a shepherd both protects and corrects his sheep. The rod sung of was the shepherd's primary offensive weapon. It was used for protecting the flock against enemies, whether they were predatorial animals or bandit thieves. This club measured about two and a half feet long. And on the end of it, they would stick a piece of stone or rock or a piece of metal or even nails so that when you, sw- you like made the blow, it was swift and direct and it left a mark. It did its work. Uh, when David is talking to King Saul and they're trying to sort out what to do with Goliath, David talks about this club being the way that he overcame the bear and the lion. This is what he used for the protection of his sheep. The rod of God's protection now brings David comfort. He feels protected by his God. 
The second tool that comforts David is the correcting staff. Uh, When we go hiking, my boys love to find a staff to help walk through the woods or walk through the mountains. Um, And the logo for this sermon series, The Good Shepherd, you see two staffs that are crossed, each with a shepherd's crook on it. What that was used for is to steer wandering sheep. It's longer than the arm of the shepherd. And so when a sheep starts to stray from the flock, you nudge it back in. It's like some of you walking through the mall with your kids. You know, you just nudge them back in. Uh, Or if the sheep fell, that, that crook could be thrown down into this wedge and help pull the sheep back up to safety. This is the correcting staff. God's staff keeps us on the path. Kenneth Bailey, a scholar uh, I quoted last week, says that these two instruments are a pair. Uh, The first, which is the rod, is used to protect the flock from external threats against it. The second, which is the staff, serves to gently assist the flock in its daily grazing. The sight of these two instruments comforts the sheep, comforts their souls. And in verse 4, David considers the ways that God has shepherded him by his sure presence as he faced both uh, fightings within and fears without, as he faced both internal conflict where he would stray and also uh, enemies that would roar against him, how he has known the sure presence of God in dangerous and uncertain times. He confesses that he will not fear because God is near. Dr. Watts said it like this. When through the shades of death I walk, your presence is my stay. One word of your supporting breath drives all my fears away. Man, I love that back part there. One word of your supporting breath drives all my fears away. Now, David doesn't always talk like that, does he? This is our 23rd Psalm to explore together as a church. We've made it this far. We know the whole range of human emotion, of both doubts and fears that have plagued him. The Psalms are shot through with David talking like that, out of fear. He doesn't see the future. He knows who holds the future, but there's still this disconnect between what he knows to be true in his mind and his experience. As a matter of fact, if you just turn back one chapter to Psalm 22, he sounds totally different. This is how Psalm 22 begins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I do not find rest. Now that doesn't sound like a confident, satisfied sheep. Last summer, we left this cliffhanger in our study of the Psalms with that psalm. Russ Kennedy preached it. And in the silence of Psalm 22, when his heart is erect, wanting to know the nearness of God, with the start of the next psalm, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. How do you go from one human experience to another so quickly? It just shows us that we need continual reminding again and again that we are not alone. And God knew that, so he wrote it in his holy word so that we would be reminded again and again that we are not alone. Psalm 23 verse 4 teaches us to pray, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. But let's not miss that that prayer 
is predicated on a promise of God. God gives this promise many times throughout the Old Testament. I'm going to highlight Isaiah 41.10, which says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And so those words were first on God's lip toward his people. Here we see them on David's lips toward his God. And my prayer is they would be on our lips as the people who follow Jesus, the shepherd of his flock. My hope is this verse speaks comfort to each of us who need to be reminded that God is with us this morning. I want us as a church to know and enjoy the presence of God. This is what Christ has purchased for us. That we could enter freely into the presence of God through the shed blood of Christ. John Stevenson was an Anglican minister in England in the 19th century. And um, this week that magical Amazon truck brought me this old 1847 version of his, of his commentary on Psalm 23 called The Lord Our Shepherd. It's wonderful. Don't try to outbid me on eBay, but it's wonderful. <laughs> and he wrote this of this verse. To enjoy the guardian care of their heavenly shepherd at all seasons is the peculiar privilege of the flock of Christ. I'm going to read that again. To enjoy the guardian care of their heavenly shepherd at all seasons is the peculiar privilege of the flock of Christ. In every emergency, therefore, it becomes them to place the fullest confidence in his prudence, in his affection, in his resources, and his power. Saints, it is your peculiar privilege to enjoy the presence of God your shepherd in every season of the soul. That's yours. You can place your fullest confidence in him. There's not a valley that you have walked through that Christ has not gone with you. You whose hearts are fearful, look to Christ who stands with you now. His eyes are ever fixed on you in love. You whose hearts are plagued with anxiety and unrest, cast all your trust upon God and see that his presence is surrounding you. What past dark valleys have you walked through? And was God not with you in them? And what will you face without his care? You will not know a day without his nearness, without his covenantal love holding you in the hollow of his hand, with you in the darkest of the valleys. So brothers and sisters, take comfort in the presence of the shepherd. Now we move to joy. I think Psalm 23, verse 5 is a party. You believe that? I hope to show you. Psalm 23, verse 5 And I want to shine light on this, the care of our shepherd. So after acknowledging his trust in the Lord to walk with him through the valley, we find on the other side of it a picture of God's comprehensive care for his people. Right back where we started in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not 
want. And here David is reminded of it. This is like, let's say in the, in the, in the dark valley, in the darkness of the soul, the dark night of the soul, there's a lot of mourning and weeping going on. Even if you know the nearness of God, there's still real pain there. And then as you come out of it, perhaps, you know, when you do the ugly cry and you, you find that <laughs> at the end of it, I mean, I've seen it happen once. That's what it looked like to me. And then after all that, <laughs> after all that, is this like, <sighs> and in that exhale, there's a lot of things going on, isn't there? It's like you can just come up out of it long enough to see that the Lord is with you. And then the aid of God rushes in to nurse us back to health. If verse 4 promised comfort for us, verse 5 promises us spilling over the brim kind of joy. Every detail here points to triumph on the other side of the storm, through the valley. That preposition is massively important. It's not just to the valley, it's through it that the path goes. So let's look. First, there's a few things I want to highlight. First, let's look at this table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Back in verse 1, we saw the sheep being given food and water by the shepherd. And here again, God's people are well provided for. David says he's been seated at a feast where the Lord himself has prepared this meal for him to enjoy. And notice, the not the guests, but those that are watching, that are watching this happen. It's a strange thing. It's a strange picture here. David is eating in the presence of his enemies. In a battle, you don't sit down to eat unless God is fighting for you. And that's exactly what David does here. He sits down and enjoys God, even with his enemies present. And they just look on at how God cares for his people. The next thing I want to point out is this oil of anointing. You anoint my head with oil. Now, anointing in Scripture happens for a variety of reasons. Consecration, to set something aside and declare it holy. The inauguration of a king, like when David was anointed king by Samuel. Um, wounds and sores were often anointed in the time of Scripture and even, even to this day. Luke 10, for 34, we see that. The sick were anointed with oil, James 5, 14. But this anointing is an act of hospitality. The host of this feast is anointing his treasured guest. That's what's happening here. Because he's full of love and joy in the company of this treasured guest. This is like we saw in the Gospel of Matthew when this woman anoints the head of Jesus out of love and worship and devotion toward him. Well, here David says that I, I'm like this honored guest seated at the table of the king. And then out of his lavish love for me, he's poured this oil of gladness over my life. And then what happens? My cup overflows. With this image of the overflowing cup, David says his life is like he's sitting at a feast, and every time he takes a drink of God's goodness and sets down his cup, it's as if God refills it, but not just to the brim, but overflowing. 
God's not wasting one of his blessings, but God's demonstrating his kindness, pouring out his love and blessing on David's life. So much that he can't contain it. And why has David been given such abundant provision? Why throughout the psalm does God continue to show us how he's committed to caring for us as his people? Because God's heart toward his people overflows with love. This is who he is. In this verse, we get a picture of the lavish love of God upon us. Don't miss this. Based not on what we've done, but based on what God has done on our behalf. And there our thoughts fly to the cross of Christ. Through the work of the cross, you and I have been seated at the table of the king. When Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath in our place on the cross, he ensured that we would drink the cup of God's blessing, both in this life and the life to come. God has prepared for us so great a salvation. He has anointed us with the oil of gladness that comes from knowing Christ. The Scottish hymn writer James Montgomery said it like this, In the midst of affliction my table is spread, with blessings unmeasured my cup runneth o'er. With perfume and oil thou anointest my head, O what shall I ask of thy providence more? Now we're back to this. What have you needed that his hand has not provided? In what area does his providence lack? None. It's perfect. And friends, this is what the God of the Bible is like. He's not begrudgingly doling out blessings upon his children. He's welcomed us, arms wide open, seated us at the table, given his very best for us in sending his son Jesus so that we might become his people, the people of his pasture. So I I just want to say, if you can't sing uh, the words of Psalm 23 this morning from a place of honesty, uh, I want to invite you to. And so I want to explain it in a way that is so simple that a five-year-old child can understand and yet so deep that an 80-year-old saint never gets over it. God is love. God is the creator and sustainer of all things and all things exist for his glory. Out of his love, he fashioned uh, planets and carved valleys. Out of love, he calls us to him. But our sin has separated us from God. We were born sinners in need of a Savior. We needed to be forgiven of our sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us. So God, out of love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to bear 
the penalty for our sin, which was separation and death. And so now I think about this little mirror, and if you would imagine just an entire mirror stretched across this room as we peer into it together, the invitation of Christ is come and know forgiveness of your sin. Come and know the tender care of the good shepherd. And the only way to do that is through the cross, through believing in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way but through him. And so today, we invite you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, and you will be saved. So simple. A five-year-old child can understand. But what it needs is the affective call of God upon the heart pulling. And so if you feel the pull of the good shepherd upon your heart today, do not harden your heart. Believe. Receive life. And for those of us who know this kind of comprehensive care at the table of Christ, I'm going to offer just almost no application other than to stay seated at the table. Brothers and sisters, let's stay seated at the table. There will be another kind of pull a pull in our hearts away from the keep and care of the shepherd. It says, hey, look at this greener pasture over there. That looks delicious. We say, no, 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 this is the care and the provision that our shepherd has given us. And we'll be prone to look at other tables and say, that looks like there's a lot of bounty there. I think I could go sit there for a while. And no, the shepherd just corrects us with his crook saying, no, no, no. It's at my table that I will feed you in full. It's at my table that I will meet your needs. So when you hear those voices promising there is life at other tables and in other pastures, there is not. There is not. There's nowhere we're more cared for than by the shepherd of our souls. On Thursday night, we had the privilege of going to a wedding um, some friends of ours, their children are now grown and, and got married to each other, which is a wonderful thing to see. And uh, guys, just free advice, you should take your wife to weddings. That's big points. And it's a, the dinner's free. I'm not saying wedding crashed. I'm saying be invited and do that, you know. But... Um, on our way home, Jamie and I were, were talking about marriage and just celebrating God's kindness to us over these years. And we were reminded, Jamie reminded me of the words of our pastor, Ted Kitchens, who married us. And on our wedding day, he said, on days like this, your eyes are bright as you look into the future. There's hope dripping in the air. And you're right to feel that way on your wedding day. It's a right thing to look into the future that way. But there will be some days and he said, I pray it's only a few days where you'll know the valley of the shadow of death. And in those moments, you'll be tempted to think God has left you. He has not. It's to you who may think that God has left or abandoned you in whatever season you are walking through right now. 
or whatever season you know awaits you in the future and think God has left me. He has not. In those moments, God has given us Psalm chapter 23 to remember the real God, the eternal God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. The good shepherd is with you. And so may we learn to confess in this life and the next, you are with me. And surely he is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for both the comfort and the joy of these two verses. I thank you for the way that your word shepherds us, pastures us, watches over and cares for us, corrects us, informs us, tears down and rebuilds us. I pray that the seeds of your word that have been planted in our hearts this morning would do their good work in us. For each of us who are in Christ, let us be comforted. Let our joy be renewed like oil. Oil of an overflowing cup. And for our friends who are here without knowing you as their shepherd, oh God, let today be the day of salvation. We ask all of this in the name of the good shepherd, Christ himself. Amen.